Okay. Hey, everybody. My name is Diane, and I'm the host or your host today of Design Recharge. I don't know why I said it weird like that, but oh, well, it's always new. Everything's different. After nine and a half years, you'd think I'd have this thing memorized. But today, I'm really excited to have um, uh, Rachel Zampino is here coming in from Pensacola, Florida, soon to be relocating to Denver, Colorado, where my heart is. So I am super excited to have you. And I'm glad to have some new people in the chat. Just make sure if you're in the chat, we I want to hear your questions as well. So please, please just make sure it says to everyone. Your little blue thing should say everyone and tell us where you're popping in from. We've got people from Canada, Florida, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Arkansas. We've got people from all over. So make sure everybody knows where you're popping in from. Okay, Rachel, I know you uh, from lots of different things. You, We are just talking about one small little part of you today, which is a big part because it's the thing that I come to you for. If I have web, I'm like, how do you do this? How have you done this? Right? I, I go to Rachel. Rachel solves a lot of my problems in this or we figure it out together. But she also has, I don't know if you call it co-founded, but you kind of where the impetus behind Design XL, which is a design conference in Pensacola, which is now accepting, uh, they are selling tickets, I think, right? Mm-hmm. We okay. Are. Um, and we'll, I'll make sure I find that link and get that to y'all too, because it's uh, going to be a killer lineup again, and it's drivable for me. So I'm super excited. And, um, but I want you to tell people about, where you are, what you've done, what, how, why web, and then what you've seen, what you've been doing, and then because you've pivoted recently. So can you tell them about you? All right. I guess we're just hitting the ground running with all the things. <laughs> we are. Um, so I'm Rachel. I'm a designer and a WordPress developer. Um, I first got into web, I guess my initial like foray into web and design was MySpace, if you guys remember that. Um, So I think I was in like sixth or seventh grade when it was like really popular and I got really into it. I would stay up all night building layouts and other stuff for MySpace, just figuring out how to do it. And that's how I learned my initial foundation of just basic HTML and CSS So I was building out layouts, but then they didn't look very good. So I had to learn some design principles and learn how to make. Sixth grader, did you do that? Did was there anybody in your family that was a designer? Did you know that this was a real? Nope i I didn't know what it was or what to call it. I would have never called it design or coding or whatever. I didn't even know what it was. I just knew I enjoyed doing it. So I would stay up like all night just experimenting with this stuff. And so then I got into making like icons and other graphics and stuff to like go with the layouts. And then that kind of was also my first like intro to like entrepreneurship. Cause I started like building layouts for all my friends and like doing like custom stuff for people, obviously for free. Cause I was in middle school, but <laughs> um. Yeah, I was just like super obsessed with MySpace and like all the unlimited possibilities and things that you could do with to customize your profile. So I think that's where it like really started. 
And then over time, just transitioned obviously away from MySpace because that doesn't really exist anymore, but in translated into websites and like messing around with my personal website. And then eventually somehow getting some friends and clients to be to trust me enough to, to let me mess around with their website. And then it just went from there. So it's still like, I'm still as excited about building websites as I was back then. Um, but yeah, did that answer the question? <laughs> yeah. So I, what number kid are you? I'm an only child. So the number one and the last, <laughs> the first and the last. So that makes sense about you being so resourceful, right? I would not have been like, I don't know, how am I going to find these things? My mom would have been like, we're going to the library. You're going to make you a friend and well, I'm not going to be involved. So, okay. So you were a resourceful kid then. And, yeah, and I was always like crafty and like artsy, but I, I was terrible at drawing and I still am. <laughs> so I knew that like the art field wasn't for me, but I didn't really know what the answer was. And yeah, I guess I just spent like a lot of time at home by myself as an only child. And just like, I was able to connect with friends and other people like online. So, yeah. So this was like a, a way for you to, um, connect or be with other people without, uh, physically being with them. Right. Mm -hmm. I wonder if more kids since COVID will be, uh, more interested in web or coding or social media because of, I wonder, anyway, we'll, we'll meet back up in 10 years. Okay. Rachel, and we'll have that conversation okay. <laughs> with some, some people who were in sixth grade then. So I, I love that. So you weren't necessarily artsy, but you were craftsy was your mom. I know she's here. Hey, darling. Um, or, or Miss Sampino, or I don't know, I'm from the South. We would call her Miss Sampino, but she's showing up as Darlene. My mom's showing up as Elaine. So, um, so would you, was she crafty? I think her and my dad were like a little bit crafty, but I think it mostly came from my grandma. She was very into all the craft things and she babysat me a lot. So we were always doing like making stuff out of Play-Doh or painting or baking or doing some other kind of arts and crafts all the time. So I feel like that's really where it initially came from. Well, and maybe that's part of where you've been exploratory because there have been, uh, I mean, you were one of the first people I knew that was using Elementor and you were like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I just banked it. And then my friend, Brian, he was like, Hey, can you do this website for me? But can you do it in Elementor? And I was like, what's Elementor, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> Elementor is easy. It is a WordPress based. So why? And we're going to, we're going to get into this a little bit. So I'm, I want to stay in order because I, I think I was supposed to go through questions one through four, and then you're going to teach us something. And I know I'll you have to get off track. <laughs> I know, I know, you know me though. So oh, here we go. Uh, and Lisa's in Colorado. So Awesome. Thank you, Lisa, for telling me, reminding me where you are. Uh, Rachel's going to move there. So you guys should be friends. She's going to move to Denver. All right. So you've recently got on on your own. Can you explain or describe what kind of jobs you've had and what you what your role has been and then why going out on your own? Yeah. So um, how far back do we want to go? Do we want to go first job or <laughs> design related jobs? How about, how about the jobs? last? Yeah. Design related jobs. 
So I had some internships when I was in school. So I got to do um, a couple different internships for the university, University of West Florida. Um, so that was pretty good exposure into the design world and how things work and how real projects function and clients and all that fun stuff. So I got to do those while I was in school. And then right after I graduated, actually a few months before I graduated, I started getting in contact with an agency called Blacktop. Um, I knew that they did the stuff that I wanted to do and they were local. Which was so what? Which was what? What was it? Web that's focused, but with a design aspect. So not just web development, but also web design and like the overlap in between those two things as well. as We did um, a lot of branding also. So it was kind of fun to just do like the full spectrum of things. So locally at the time, which this was like six years ago, they were one of the only agencies that was doing that in town. So I was like, this is it. Like, this is my thing. I got to get my foot in the door with them somehow, some way. So I had been emailing them and they're like, no, we don't really have a position right now. So then like every couple months I'd be like, Hey, you guys have a position yet? (laughs) Bothering them all the time. Um, And then finally, a few months before I was about to graduate, they mentioned they were about to have a position available for a designer and they had actually never hired a designer before. So it was mostly developers and they had some design skills. Um, So I started doing some like trial projects, like on a contract basis with them while I was still in school and then was able to start full-time with them right when I graduated. So graduated on a Saturday and started there on a Monday. <laughs> okay. So then what, what, what was your role in the beginning? Was it just web design? Were you designing WordPress? Were you doing custom sites? Were you using a tool like Elementor or were you using Divi or something else? Back then, which doesn't seem like that long ago, six years ago, but in terms of technology and stuff is a really long time. We were still building WordPress sites, but they were utilizing themes rather than like page builder plugins. So we just pick, we had a few themes that we kind of like rotated on whichever one fit best for the that particular client. So I was doing a mix of designing the websites and then actually building the sites in WordPress. And then I eventually translated into more uh, of the branding stuff and then web design only. And then we had developers who would do the development. Okay. So, so, cause my mom won't know what this is. Maybe your mom doesn't either. And just in case there's somebody listening that doesn't know, right. So uh, using a theme, what's the difference between using a theme and a page builder? And when, when did you, did you do that research on your own and you found the page builder or was, did that come, did somebody at work uh, bring that up? It's kind of hard to explain the difference between a a theme and a page builder. Basically a theme is like, it's sort of like a set template that you can use. So you'd go buy a a theme from somewhere and then download it to your site. And it's like, has all the fonts and colors and maybe images and icons and stuff already like pre-packaged together. And then a page builder is to get more custom with it. Basically you'd be building something from scratch and just making a completely unique website. 
Do you want to know what I use as that analogy? Did you ever, this is how y'all are going to be like, oh, wow, your mom was really, really helpful. She just didn't want me to make a mess, though. Did you guys ever have those watercolor things? All you needed was water and a brush. Mm-hmm. You would paint and it would be whatever color the manufacturer had, but it was white piece of paper. It looked white, but then you put water on it and it would be a color, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's the way my mom would let us. I mean, she let us. We were crafty, too. But when we were really young, because I was like, I want to paint. And she'd get these. I'd go through these things. I'm like, I'm done with this book, you know. (laughs) But that's what I think. I think a template is all the colors were already done. It was just like all you had to do was put some water on that paper. And bam, Mm -hmm. there's really not a lot of strategy or customization. And so making it work for each client. And then the other is what we what you're able to do with a. I think a page builder or with coding, of course, coding. Oh, that's like somebody's got to make the paper before they even give it to you. But uh, I, it's just, it's a empty sketchbook and it's a good sketchbook and it gives you lots of things that you're able to build, but it's, it's empty and you can make whatever you're not limited by what colors came in the whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. To me, it's, it's that, it is a template. It is pre-made and it's not difficult to change them, but it's not as easy. And this may be one of the things that people are like, oh, I have this theme. Well, now I have to buy another theme, right? Now I'm going to buy this. And so there's lots of things that me and you use that are free. They're free for, and you don't have to buy. So it's saving you, but you're also able to customize a lot more. Did Mm -hmm. you see that clients that, they wanted more um, custom things than you were able to give them um, when you were just doing themes. They wanted you to customize. Can you change this? Can you take this out? And you're like, yeah, I think it depends on the client. Like some people, if they don't really value their website, which everyone should value their website in this day and age, but if they don't, they don't really care if it's a template or a theme they just kind of want something as cheap and fast as possible. And maybe that's fine for some people, but most clients want something that's unique to them and their business and something that also meshes with their brand identity and other stuff that they, other marketing stuff they have out in the world, which is a big deal, you know, having everything cohesive that way, somebody's not on your social media page and then they go to your website and it looks totally different. And they're like, am I even in the right place? Are you trying to spam me or what's going on here? (laughs) Right. Right. You're advertising clean restrooms out by the street, but on your website, (laughs) it looks super nice and uh, bougie. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So one of the things that me and you have had conversations about, and I mean, you can look at my website and see, I have not updated my website, right? This is a problem. We're Mm -hmm. designing, we're busy, but you've also seen agencies do this too. So the problem is what? Is that why don't I have my website updated? Why can't I keep it updated? Mm -hmm. Why do you think? I think it's a lot of things, but um I guess like the main ones would be either they have a website that somebody else built and they don't know how to edit it, which is a big one, or they just simply like don't have the time or the effort to put into updating it, especially the portfolio aspect. Like that's pretty daunting to think about, but it's, it's really like an investment in yourself, in your business. It's an important thing that you need to make the time to actually do it. 
how do you find time? How have you, because you've done work for yourself, obviously, but then you've also done work for agencies, which is focused on the strategy of them. Uh, you build it from scratch, but then you also put, you give it back to them and say, this is when you need to do this. So you kind of have set them up with like, not just a strategy of making it look good and work, but it's also a strategy of them updating it. Like I'm giving mm -hmm. this back to you. You need to do this every, do you have like a system that you use for yourself so that you keep your stuff updated? Uh, yeah. And I'll get like, I'll get more in depth into it in my presentation here in a minute, but mostly just the biggest thing is constantly documenting my work as I'm doing it instead of waiting until the project is over and trying to go back and put it in my portfolio then. Because if you do it while you're working on it, actively thinking about it, you can write notes out, you can save your sketches, you can write down things the client said, or maybe questions they had, or what their problems were when you first started the project versus how you solve those problems at the end of the project. And just like your overall process, it's much easier to document it while you're doing it instead of revisiting, oh, I launched this website three months ago. Let me go add it in my portfolio. And then I'm like, I don't even remember what I did. I don't remember what we talked about. Oh, I forgot I had all these sketches and all these other ideas that never like came to fruition, but they're worth like showing. So it's just harder to kind of like get back in that mental state. It's much easier to do it while you're actually building out the project. And then that just sets you up for success long-term because you just keep doing that. You keep slowly adding projects as you get done with them. That's been the biggest like game changer for me. All right. So I need I need a little bit more clear. clear. I need to know <laughs> how to do this better. So is it literally you're like have a uh, alarm on your phone that goes off on Wednesdays and it's like <laughs> at 235, you take a picture and you, this is what I'm working on. Or do you have like at the end of the week, Hey, I want to uh, have kind of like a notebook of said, this is what I, uh, this is what I accomplished this week. Or do you keep all the notes from a client meeting? Do you type them in? Like I, I need specifics. I need to be able to do this better. <laughs> well, I am obsessive, but I'm not as obsessive as setting an, an alarm. I do have a thing on my calendar that's like every, once a month, like back up your files and like do this other stuff. But this is kind of a framework that I'm working on building out currently to streamline this process for myself and then be able to show others how to do it as well. So that's something that I'm going to be working on like the next couple months. But in general, just making sure that if I'm in, like if I have a Zoom meeting with a client, I'm recording all of those. So then I have a backlog in case I want to go back and take a quote from something the client said, or if I forget what they asked me to do or something, I can go back and watch it. So that helps a lot. And then I just try to write down everything I possibly can while I'm working on stuff. So I have notebooks all over the place of ideas and notes and stuff. And then always keeping my sketches just in case I want to use them in my portfolio as like a, here's a, the initial wireframe of what we thought the site was going to look like. And then here's what it looked like after it was done. And here's why we changed these certain things and stuff like that. Awesome. Okay. All right. So you saw this in your work. You saw it maybe at the agency you were working at, but you've also been hired by other 
places, other companies, uh, not just clients, but other designers, design agencies or advertising companies to do this as well. What what was the struggle? I, I know what a, a solo person has. I know what those struggles are. But what is how is it different or is it different from what an agency struggles with? I think it's all the same problems. It's not any different. The main thing is just the time and effort to put into your portfolio and having a strategy like we just talked about on how you're going to keep up with updating it. Because if you just keep telling yourself, oh, I'm going to update my portfolio this month or this year or whatever, it that ne- that time never comes around. It just keeps getting pushed back further and further and further, speaking from experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think whether you're a freelancer or if you have an agency, you have the same problems. The time that goes into building a portfolio or maybe you're not comfortable with the way your website is built right now, or you don't have a solid foundation to work from. Like I made a template for how my case studies were going to look. So then that way I could just start filling in like, these are the things that I need for every project at minimum to fill in and put on my website. So having something like that, that you can just dump all the information into and not think about the visual aspect. Cause I feel like we get so caught up in oh, I need to show a mock-up of this and have this image and this video and whatever. And we're not focusing on the actual content and the strategy of how things are laid out. You ever, and then I'll let you teach us what you're going to teach us. Do you ever screen record on a regular basis what you're building and making? Sometimes I do. I'm trying to find a better way to do it without like saving like, (laughs) several gigabytes of files. But sometimes if I start a project that I know I'm going to want to document in some capacity, like when I just redid my own site, I recorded like everything. So now I'm going to go back and edit those videos and talk about how I did some of that stuff. But yeah, I would like to find a way to just basically record everything that I do because I feel like there's so much valuable stuff that all of us do on a daily basis that we don't even realize that other people don't know how to do that we could be sharing. Yeah. I by accident recorded over 24 hours on loom one time. I (laughs) I, I didn't realize it was still recording. I went to bed. It's still recorded. Anyway, loom will do it and it saves it on its own cloud. So you don't even have to take up storage (laughs) on yours. Okay. I want you to teach us what you're going to teach us, which I think has to do with strategy. Um, to me, having having something that is specific for me as a designer or a design firm or an agency, it's different than how I would do a strategy for a, a client, I think. So this is very specific. It's hard to do stuff for ourselves. Often we overthink. So mm-hmm. this, what you're telling us is kind of like a cheat sheet that would maybe work better than what we're currently doing. Well, anything would work better than what we're currently doing, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've updated Which my site. Sweeping it like under the rug. Like, oh, portfolio? What's that? <laughs> I want to talk about Yeah, it. why? Do you have any idea why we do this? Is it that we just don't want to look at old work or we don't value what we've done? Or I think uh, it's a combination of things. I think most of it, for me personally, has just been not having the confidence to like put that stuff out there and like not knowing how to talk about it. Cause you can be like, 
oh, here's this pretty thing I made, but then you need to actually talk about your process and what problem you solved with that design or whatever. And that for a long time, that was really hard for me because I was always just like in perfectionist mindset. Like this thing is not good enough to put in my portfolio. It has to be perfect, but it's never going to be perfect. So you might as well put it in there. <laughs> yeah. And and a client doesn't necessarily um, know or can't tell it, what you would have rather had in there than what the other client chose. They're just saying, oh, wow, they can do e-commerce or they can do mm-hmm. the second nav menu that does filtering mm-hmm. or right. It, it doesn't it. They can see enough. But if you don't show them anything, they're never going to be able to see that you could could. Do right. It. And it's especially a good thing to think about is if you're targeting um, whoever your ideal clients are, if they're outside of the design and the creative industry, literally anything you do is going to impress them. <laughs> right. So right. You just need to keep in mind like who your audience is too. Like it doesn't have to be some perfect thing. And I think we get into this trap of like comparing with other designers or creative people like, oh, their portfolio is so great. And mine has to match up to that. And it's never going to be that, but maybe they have a totally different style than you and a totally different target audience. So I just try not to compare my portfolio to like anybody else. It's just my thing my stuff, my style, whatever. It may not be the most crispy, perfect, best thing I've ever done in my whole life, but it's a functional example of how I can solve clients' problems. And that's all that matters. Awesome. Well, Joe says he um, he is definitely in the process of redoing his portfolio site. Amy Lyons said, I am tuning in because I am doing my portfolio site. <laughs> so you have a lot of people you are definitely uh, preaching to the choir. It is hard to do. Maybe it is that we are, um, we're worried about our friends and design that are going to be like, oh my gosh, why'd you put that up there? But our mm-hmm. friends aren't going to hire us to do this other work. Exactly. We, we, we need to put it up there so that the dentists and the, I don't know, the music festivals that they call us and want us to do stuff. And Maria says you have a great mic and video setup. Oh, thank you. I got good advice from uh, actually two people named Constantinos, (laughs) Kalias and Elinas. Oh, nice. (laughs) The video masters. That's right. All right. Well, you want to pop up on on your and show your deck and teach us? So we're going to talk about a strategy for your portfolio site and how to figure out what that is. So the first thing I want to talk about is your portfolio is not about you, which sounds counterintuitive, but it has nothing to do with you, your personal feelings, how you want it to look, (laughs) any of that. So it's actually about the person that's viewing it. So the person who's going to hire you based on what they're looking at. We want to make this thing appeal to them and not appeal to our own aesthetic or personal standards or emotions or anything. It's also not about impressing other designers like we just talked about, which is, I think, the biggest issue that I see with most portfolios. It's just the comparison trap between, oh, so-and-so did it like this, so I have to do my portfolio like this. And that just doesn't work. It needs to be tailored to whoever your target audience is. And like we were talking about earlier, if you're impressing other designers, that's cool, but they're not paying your bills. 
So this is probably the most important slide out of this whole thing. So this is really getting into the strategy of how to set up your portfolio site. So the first thing is, what is your goal? Are you trying to get a full-time job, whether it's in-house at a company or at a design agency? Are you trying to get more freelance clients? Or do you have plenty of work and you just want to have general awareness, which in that case, lucky you. (laughs) So two is who are you targeting? So you're going to base this on your answer for number one. If you're targeting freelance clients, you want to niche down a little bit into at least what industry you want those clients to be from. Like for me, automotive industry is a big one. Or you can dial in by, you know, their budget or their location. If you want to target local clients versus national versus worldwide, all those are things to think about here. And then if you want to go down even further, the specific type of person or job role that is going to be looking at your portfolio. So if you're targeting an in-house position at an agency, it's probably going to be a creative director maybe a project manager or somebody like that, that's going to be the one who's looking at your portfolio and deciding if they're going to hire you or not. It's important to figure out who that ideal person is for you and your specific situation, because you're going to tailor everything around that. But this is a huge pain point for a lot of people. They don't want to alienate other people out. But Mm -hmm. what have you seen when you've done this for clients? Because really working at Blacktop, you were just doing web design and y'all were maybe specific. Um, But how have you seen that you, because I think this is a fear. If we say we're only doing dentists, I don't know why I always use dentists as this (laughs) as an example. If I, but then I won't have, there aren't enough dentists that need websites, but that mm-hmm. that's a lie, right? Yeah. By you being granular, what happens when you, you get really good at doing dentist sites, therefore you mm-hmm. can do what? Well, for one, you can be a heck of a lot more efficient. And so you can charge the same price, but maybe be able to build the site in half the amount of time. And you, it also allows you to become an expert at whatever that one specific industry is you're targeting. You, after a few of the same type of clients, you start to learn, they all have the same pain points. They all have these commonalities and problems that you can solve for every dentist all over the world. So that, that expands your client base out, but it niches you down so that people see you as the expert, the person to hire. If I need a dentist website, I'm going to them. They know how how to hire you and what you're good at. And that doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily scare away other clients. Like they may come to your site and see, oh, you specialize in dental websites, but they may still really like your work and they may still want to hire you, even if they're a construction company or something. And you can decide if you want to accept those projects or not. It's not totally limiting you to this one niche forever for the rest of your life. You can always change it and tweak it if you realize it's not something you enjoyed as much as you thought you would, or you want to transition into something else. It's not permanent. It's just going to help you get better at what you do. Yeah. And I I just go into the dentist site. So I, if you go to Google and you just Google like dentist office in your area, so many people will be like, we're going to show our lobby 
and or our waiting room empty. It'll be so clean. Everything will be in place. And I'm like, this is not selling your dentist office. It's I'm like, that's like clean restrooms. Like, buddy, if you're having to announce that your restrooms are clean at one point, they were not clean so bad that now you're having to say we got clean restrooms. But if you show the pretty teeth, man, I'm Mm -hmm. much more attracted. I don't want to see like a, you know, at a doctor's office, my lung doctor, it's like the, that drapery thing, that paper that you have to sit on when you go to the doctor in an empty room. I'm like, "Hmm." that's the worst. Can we talk about just the UX experience of a doctor's office? (laughs) Right. But we want to see the customers. We want to see happy people. We want to see, Hey, my teeth kind of look jacked up like that. And then look what happened. They got their teeth much better. So again, you're again, we're in the dentist realm, but but I love that, that one, I can be more efficient and I love that I'm not always having to learn. I know that a lot of dentists want to maybe have scheduling in uh, done the first time you had to figure it out. But the next time you're like, hey, this is something you can offer. Now, you know, the service again, it helps with that expert status, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And you, oh, you sorry. Create stronger relationships with your clients too, when you can really sympathize with the issues that they're having. And it's, it's something that you've experienced and solved for another client before, and they trust you and you just build a stronger bond, which also is going to equal more referrals and stuff for you too. If you think about it that way. Absolutely. So Joe says, do you think it's a college or university mindset where they tell the students to have various graphics in their portfolio? Yes. I, I, but as you're coming out of school, now I say this as an educator, we aren't trying to get you a niche. We hope that you get that later. But so mm-hmm. many people, 10, 15 years later, they're just still. And I mean, I've definitely been in this. Um, this has been a huge pain point for me. Like, what am I going to say I do? I mm-hmm. say I do web, which I think Will would laugh at me, but um, but I do a lot. That's the majority of the stuff I do. Now, I still do brochures and print things and signage, but I just am not advertising that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's, um, that's the difference because it's where you're pulling things in because this is where I'm better. I know what things to use. And the reason I use my hosting is because of you, Rachel. I changed my hosting because Will was like, uh, Rachel's using Flywheel now. Did you know that? I was like, what? And then I contacted you and you were like, okay. And I, Paul's just giving us a little dentist. Dentists should show pictures of their ceilings because it's what's what you spend most of your time looking at. I've had dentists who actually put posters up there, but I actually like That's the cool. ceiling tiles because then you can kind of cr- connect the dots. Or make, I make pictures with them because I really don't like going to the dentist. Okay. So we've gotten granular. We're just going to take a stab and we're going to do dentist websites and Mm -hmm. we're going to end up making more money. What what about the other pain point of getting granular? And I'm sure you've had to deal with this is, oh, but Rachel, it's going to be so boring. I'm just going to do, I mean, let's say you really like dentist websites, but instead let's do automotive because you, Rachel, love automotive. Have you gotten bored because you've done a lot of automotive? No, absolutely Why? not. Like it, it has to be something that you're passionate about in some way, or that you have some kind of connection or tie to like emotionally, I think. <laughs> so, so I'm super so that's into cars. Fault. That's and, false. 
right? That we're going to get bored by just doing the same thing over and over because. Yeah, you will. If it's something you hate, does that make sense? You need to yes. find something that you really enjoy doing. And if you don't know what that is, you just keep experimenting until you find it. And that, that's what I was going to say about um, the school thing. Like you have to be a generalist during school because you don't know anything yet. You're still learning it all. You're exploring, you're experimenting and trying different things. There just needs to be something like maybe a few years after you get out of school, that's like a revisit, like, Hey, you have to stop being a generalist now. What's your thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep going. So number three is I just kind of want to touch on that because I think that that's a, it stops most people the being mm-hmm. specific or granular. They're going to get bored or they're not going to have enough dentists to make websites or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep and going. another thing on that topic to note is like, it doesn't have to be niching down to the industry. It could be something else. It could be types of people you want to work with or all sorts of different things, budgets, locations, right? anything. Like right. for me personally, it's people that have a company or a solopreneur who has some sort of portfolio on their website, which sounds limiting, but really it's not. It's not only designers and artists and creatives. It's photographers, it's commercial painters, it's all kinds of different things. Anyone who needs to showcase their work. And since I've done that for so long, I've gotten really good at figuring out how to help people sell themselves and help them figure out what their strong points are and how to relay that information. Because you've been doing it since you were in sixth grade. (laughs) Okay, keep going. All right. So last one is how do you make their life easier, which is the most important thing. So you've identified who the ideal client or person you want to work for is. Now you're going to figure out how do you make their life easier, which is going to tell them why they should give a crap about what you do. How are you going to relieve their pain points and what problems are you going to solve for them? And that's, that's the main focus of your entire website your marketing, everything that you do. So you're going to base every single decision you make on on your website around this, what your taglines are, what your intro statement on your website is, images, text, how you're going to present your portfolio and what you're going to talk about in your case studies about the specific pain point you solved for X client that also applies to the current potential client that's looking at your site. Does that make sense? Yes. How do you know just because you've done, you're an expert or you're knowledgeable in the industry because you've had experience, you know, about, or you do you go and talk to your ideal customer or your favorite customer, favorite client and say, how did I relieve your pain? Why, why do you continually come back to me? Mm-hmm. It's been a combination of just, seeing the patterns across like multiple clients of things that I did for them or whatever. And also, like you said, making sure that if you're making sure that your client is happy anyways, this information is going to come out because you're going to say, what did you like about working with me? How could it have been better? That kind of stuff after the project and like making sure that they feel satisfied with what they got no matter what. So you're going to be gathering that information you just have to start documenting it. Mm, okay. 
A portfolio seems very daunting. So I want to put emphasis on the fact that you're allowed to start small and expand it later. You can start with maybe three projects, maybe even just one full case study, and then expand from there. The important thing is just getting the work out there, letting people get eyeballs on it, even if it's not the most perfect, wonderful thing that you've ever created. Getting it out there, you're starting to get traction, build your audience, and starting to build credibility as well. And progress is always better than perfection, which has been my hardest life lesson to learn, but I think I finally learned it. Next, like I said, um, quality over quantity. So if you can only build out right now three case studies, that's better than having 10 or 15 generic portfolio pieces that are just images with no context into your process. Why? Why? Why is that? Why is having content or context important? Well, all the stuff we just talked about, you want to discuss how you're going to actually solve real problems for your clients, not just, I'm going to make you this pretty thing. And that may be all that they think that they want, but there's probably some underlying problems if they need their logo redone or their website redone or whatever it is. There's some underlying pain points there that you can discover. So you can help the client more, basically uh, doing more than they ask for, and also be able to charge more if you're solving real business problems for them. And if you're writing it, then they can, the other clients that are like them will see themselves in it. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, uh, I have, you know, a big gap in my teeth. And if they talk about gap teeth, then I would know that if I had a gap tooth, then whatever, you know what I mean? A gap in my teeth, then that dentist would be able to fix it because they're talking about somebody just like me. And if you don't have any content, also Google isn't going to help you out with uh, organic SEO, right? Or being Mm -hmm. found because all that text makes a difference, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Very important for SEO too, but that's a whole other (laughs) ballgame. But it's important to think about as you do the strategy, you don't just want pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. It can't just be that. So that content is important. I love that you said that. Okay, keep going. You're also giving them um, better insight in how they can hire you too. If I just land on, and this is the thing that I see the most common is, let's say Adobe portfolio sites, like pretty much every designer, new designer uses those. So you land on their website and it's just a grid of a bunch of images and they're all different styles, different types of projects, different industries, all kinds of different stuff. And you're just like overwhelmed right off the bat. You're like, what am I even looking at? Like, I don't know what to do here. This is cool. I guess this stuff looks good, but I don't know what to hire you for versus if you niche down and only show, say in that grid, you have 10 different examples of websites you made, or if you want to go further, 10 different examples of dentist websites that you made, then they're going to be like, oh, I'm in the right place. And I know I can hire them for a dentist website. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that some people are going to be like, there's 10 different kinds of ways to make a dentist website. Yeah. (laughs) No way. Like, and then they feel like, wow, if they've made 10 different dentist websites, they could probably make one for me. And that's how it is with designers. And that's kind of what you're doing. It's, it, 
there is some easy things, right? But then they could also hire you to do something specific just for them because everybody's doesn't have to have to look the same. So um, did uh, Joe says, do you mean grid of images of the niche design on the homepage? Or do you think that there should be not a grid of images on the homepage at all? That's a good question. So I was just using it as an example for the Adobe portfolio thing, because I know a lot of people use that because it's included in your subscription, um, which is literally just like a feed of images on the homepage. And it's more, in my opinion, that's more of like an artist portfolio where you're just showing like visuals like that. And that's like the only thing you come there to see. You don't really go to an artist's portfolio to learn like about them or problems that they solve because they're just doing it for expression. But no, for a designer website, I would say you don't want that to be the first thing that they see. You want to pull them in first. You want to say, here's what I do. Here's the problems I solve. Here's the services that I offer. And then say, here's my work to back up all the stuff that you just talked about. You don't want to have it to be the first thing they see right off the bat. Okay, well, Rhonda has another question, and I think this is an awesome question, and I want to know what you do. As you're sketching, as you're doing the wireframe, do you consider how the site will translate to an app, like to the phone, um, or at least I think this is what she means, uh, to the tablet, to the desktop? So responsibly, are you thinking about this when you initially design a site? It depends on the site, really, if I know it's going to be something where their audience is like predominantly on mobile phones for whatever reason. Like if it's like, let's say like a ticketing website or something where people are going to be buying tickets on their phone, most likely, then I would probably start with like a mobile, mobile first approach where I'm actually sketching out the mobile version of the site before the desktop version. But in most cases, I just do the desktop version for all my like sketches and wireframes and stuff. And then as I'm starting to build out the designs, then I start experimenting with like how they could adapt and fit to smaller screen sizes. But in general, I try to keep things pretty like simple, like not boring, simple, but simple enough that they can be adapted to all different kinds of screens without causing an issue. Awesome. I think that's a great question and a great answer. And you're, supposedly 28 minute uh, deck has with me interrupting is like a <laughs> hour and a half deck. Okay. Keep going. I don't know. I don't, I'm so sorry. All right. Next um, complaint I hear is that I don't have the work either. I don't have enough work or I don't have that specific type of work for my ideal niche that I'm trying to target. So you can always make the work. You can do sample projects or passion projects or, Maybe even take on, if you know someone who's in that industry, take on a free project and do that just for the sake of your portfolio. I don't think there's any problem with showing quote unquote fake work, as long as you're transparent about the fact that it's not real. Like if you're not doing a Nike rebrand and putting that on your site and pretending like that wasn't a thing that you did, I think it's fine. And in a lot of cases, I think it's even more impressive when I go to somebody's site and they have a case study or even like a blog post or something that's like, here's this project I just did for fun because I wanted to learn about X. So I just, in my free time, I built this whole thing 
and did all this myself and here's why I did it and all that. Like that's more impressive to me than just a regular client project, but maybe that's just me. No. Yeah. And well, and it's that you enjoyed it enough to take the time to Mm -hmm. self initiate a project to figure it out um, Mm -hmm. instead of putting up something else that you weren't excited about. Yeah. It shows your passion, but also that you're willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. So the next thing is mock-ups are your friends. So I put this slide in here because somebody told me the other day that they didn't know what a mock-up was and I almost fell out of my chair. So I just want to make sure that there's nobody left on earth that doesn't know what a mock-up is. My mom might not know. (laughs) Well, designers and creatives that don't know what a mock-up is. He comes every week. She should know now by now, but tell her what they are. (laughs) So if you don't know, a mock-up is basically a template that you can use to present your work. So it could be anything. Like for me, it could be a photo of a laptop sitting on a desk. And then I want to take a website I just designed and place it into that presentation. So you can get all sorts of mock-up files there ones I use are usually Photoshop files. So all you have to do is dump your work in there and it knows how to adjust it and fit it into the mock-up. So those are really a really great way to get a professional presentation for your work with like very little effort. You're not spending money on photography or time trying to photograph your own stuff. Most mock-ups you can get online for free but I would highly recommend paying for some just so you're not using the same mock-ups as every other designer in the world. They're usually not that expensive and the paid ones usually come with a lot of customization options. Um, There's lots of sites you can get them from. Some of my favorites are like Envato Elements, Placeit.net, you work for them and Mr. Mockup has some really great, like really robust mockups. Also, all of the stuff that I'm talking about, any like resources or anything, if you want to look at it later, is on my website. Um, you can go to rachelzampino.com slash toolbox and everything is in there. So don't worry about like writing it down right now. So anyways, use mock-ups, work smarter, not harder. And back on the topic of writing, your work doesn't speak for itself. You actually have to write some stuff. You have to give whatever images you're going to show some context. People that are looking at your work don't know what they're looking at, especially if they're not in the creative industry. It can be um, a picture of a logo or a thing on a website or whatever. And they're just like, okay, like, this is cool. Like it looks good, but what is it? What does it do? What's it for? What problems does it solve? I don't know because I'm not a designer. I'm just looking at it and it's just a pretty picture. So it doesn't mean anything to me. And it it undervalues your work if you do that too. Mm. So as we talked about earlier, start documenting now. If you're working on a project now, start taking the notes and compiling your sketches and recording your meetings if you can, or any of that kind of stuff, compiling all your projects so that you make your life a heck of a lot easier when you go to add it to your portfolio. So should we, maybe it's like a write down the pain points of the client, write down um, words that the client's trying to convey. Also, maybe in a meeting you would, you're writing all your notes, but maybe after the meeting you go back 
And what kind of things would you circle or highlight from that meeting that you that would help you um, to either discuss a challenge or something that they didn't understand? Would that be something that you would make sure that you wrote a little bit more about? Because if Mm -hmm. Judy couldn't understand it, then maybe you should describe it so that Larry can get it, too. Yes, definitely. I try to document the questions and the uncertainty like more than anything, because you can put those into a case study if you want, but you can also make them into a blog post or social post or any number of things. And it's just giving you like free content ideas, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's free content that's going to speak directly to your target audience because it just came from your target audience. Yeah. I know that Paul's done that with his, he, uh, when you have like a, a client issue or something and a client's asking a lot of questions, like you were saying questions or concerns or uncertainty, like that one uncertainty or that one question could, because you explaining it could be a blog post or could be content that then you're able to address it on their website. Everybody's not getting to your website from the homepage, right? That's the other thing. They mm-hmm. might be uh, coming, either the landing page that they're coming to is that blog page that covers, can I do blah, blah, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going, I'm sorry. Um, I was also gonna mention, if you don't really know where to start with the case study or what, what stuff you should include and like what types of things you should start documenting, The future has a really awesome resource for this. It's called the complete case study course. There's also a link to that on my website because I absolutely love that product. I started using it maybe like a little over a year ago and there's uh, worksheets and stuff that you can print out that ask you questions and you fill in the answers and it gives you like lists of different types of visuals and stuff that you may want to show in your portfolio. So It has a lot of information, but you can tailor it down to whatever you need. But it's just a good starting point. Instead of starting from like a scary blank canvas, you at least have like a template to work within. So I highly recommend using that. Awesome. I put a link in the thingy. So you get out what you put in, which is true of anything in life. But if you're just kind of half-assed throwing things in your portfolio here and there. Oh, I just got done with this project. I'm going to upload a picture to Dribble or Behance or whatever. That's not really doing anything for you or your business. It's, it's just throwing stuff out into the void. So I think it's worth spending a lot of time and effort getting your portfolio in a really nice place with case studies. And I think it's going to pay off in the long run. It, obviously, it sucks putting all that work in and, you know, preparing all the assets and figuring out mock-ups and then writing content, all that stuff. Nobody likes doing it, but it's a necessary evil. And it's something that's going to earn you long-term trust from current and potential clients. And it's also going to earn you a lot of money. So you get out what you put in. How many case studies is too many? I would say, I feel like over five is too many. Like, Nobody's going to read through that. So they you might. would take one off when you have uh, niched more, right? It's it's really the gap teeth dentist. He's just really helping people with their gap teeth. Yeah, don't I don't want anybody to feel like they have to go build out like 10 or 20 case studies mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. You just need a few solid ones that really illustrate what you do and what your process is like. Because showing your process also helps the client 
relate to like what they can expect from you when hiring you. Cause if they're not a designer, they don't know, they have no idea how any of this stuff works. So it, it eases their mind a little bit to see, Oh, we're going to have some meetings and then you're going to do some sketches. And then I have the opportunity to give my feedback and stuff like that. It helps them feel a little bit more comfortable approaching you too. So anyways, I wouldn't have more than like five or six case studies and you could still show snippets of other work. If you wanted to just show pretty stuff, you have a little carousel of images or something. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying case studies are the the better route. We have another question. Uh, Joe asked, doesn't it depend on the client? When I'm looking to hire a designer, I'm looking for the end result. I don't care for the process as long as you meet the deadline. Yeah. Um, it, it, but if you're going to spend, this, uh, say there's a, I always think of, it could be this long game, right? That you have this relationship with this person. If it's just a, I want to go to McDonald's. I want to get my food. I don't want you chatting me up at the window. Just give me my food. That's mm-hmm. what it feels like sometimes when it's, um, it's really fast. So it does not about the relationship. It's more of a transactional. So Joe, I would maybe, um, push back just a little bit there. Sometimes you are just looking for transactional, but if you're looking Mm -hmm. for somebody who's going to help you with your strategy going forward and going to be invested in your company as a designer to help you in the next web design or in the updates or looking out for things that they might need. uh, Rachel, would you say maybe having like one of the things strategy wise I do uh, is on that, I will say, hey, this is step one. We do, we have a meeting, we have this, and then we, like you were saying, then we get feedback and then we make changes. And like you're, you're giving them an idea of what a date is going to be like mm-hmm. this, this expensive 30,000 or 10,000 or 5,000 or $2,000 website is going to be and what, what maybe they can expect. What, mm-hmm. Like, where do you put that like here? And you don't want to make it like 10 steps. It's like three or four steps. It's you're trying to make it easy, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying it has to be like each, each project has to be a novel or anything like that. And if you, if you don't want to include like your full process within a case study, you can always have a process page on your site that talks about your different services and how timelines work and different things, whatever you want to do there. But I think it all depends on the audience. Like you, I feel like you should still have case studies no matter what, if you're the whole point here is we're trying to to make more money and target bigger clients and solve bigger problems. But if you're not that type of designer, that's fine. You can, get work through Upwork or Dribble or whatever the case may be by just showing, oh, here's some cool illustrations I did. And then somebody hires you to do illustrations for their company and that's fine. But this is kind of a different thing that we're talking about that's strategy-based and it's important to still tailor your case study process to your audience too. So if I'm targeting somebody outside the design industry, like a construction company or whatever, they they want to know how their investment in a website is going to bring them more business, more customers, improve their reputation, whatever, that kind of stuff. If I'm targeting an in-house position at an agency, they don't care about all that stuff. They just want to see, 
here's my design process and here's why I picked these colors and these fonts. You're just showing that you know what you're talking about and that mm-hmm. you can solve problems with design. So it's different depending on your audience. That's a great point. Okay. Tell us about cross-pollinating. So by cross-pollinate, I mean um, other people that have worked on the project with you. If you're mm-hmm. working for an agency or if you're just collaborating with other people, it's important to make sure that not only you give these people credit, whether copywriters, photographers, developers, project managers, whoever, you're giving them credit, you're tagging them, maybe linking to their website, and then hopefully they do the same thing for you and you're cross-promoting each other. And it's also really important to clearly outline what you personally did on the mm. project so that nobody's assuming that you did all the work for that specific thing if you really didn't. This can get really sticky when you're art directing and somebody mm-hmm. else is different, is uh, designing it, right? Mm-hmm. How, how I've seen people get feelings hurt here. Yes. Can you talk just a little bit about like a way to avoid that part? Like, is it something that you do as a group uh, and you get them to approve it before it goes mm-hmm. on the website? I would definitely say that, especially if it's an agency situation, you definitely want to make sure that one, you're allowed to advertise the fact that you worked on the project and you didn't have an NDA or something like that, mm-hmm. but two, that you don't step on anybody's toes. If there are people that you want to continue working with, um, think it's important to either collaboratively work on a case study with them, or if you want to write your own and then show it to them before you actually publish it publicly, just out of respect, like, Hey, I'm thinking about posting this thing. What do you think about it? And maybe they're like, Oh, sure. Whatever. Or maybe they're like, I have a problem with this. And then you fix it and then you post it. But that's about that's about building relationships. Just like you said, with your clients, you're mm-hmm. also building those relationships. And if you're going to give credit and make sure that your team and anybody who worked on it is happy, then hopefully that's also uh, something. If they see you doing it with your team, then they would know that you would do it with them too, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just in terms of language, just I versus we kind of stuff, not mm. I built this whole thing. It's a, we work together and we built this thing, whatever, just simple stuff like that can make a big difference. Yeah. Cause it can really hurt your feelings when you're like, she said, I, she said like, Judy said, Judy did it. And I'm like, wait, Judy, all you did was blah, blah. Right. You know, you're like, oh, cause I'm part of Judy. I guess I'm Judy now, you know? So I, I definitely have seen or heard lots of designers getting upset because Judy took all the credit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big problem. Judy. (laughs) It'll be like the new Karen. (laughs) All right. Next thing that is a big lie is if you build it, they will come. This is not true. So you can build the best, most professional, coolest website the world has ever seen. But if nobody knows it exists, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. So I know we talked about earlier about like the thought of using Behance or Dribble and like if that's okay. And I think those are totally fine to use. Like, especially if you're just starting out, start putting some things on there. But even if you have your own website with a portfolio built out, you can use it as a marketing companion. So instead of 
building out a full case study on Behance, you're building out some stuff and then, hey, check out my website to view the full project and process or whatever. Same thing with Dribble. You can post a couple quick images that look really nice and be like, if you're interested, you can read more about this project on my website, using it as a marketing component instead of your sole portfolio website. In Medium, you could write an article from your case study or a part of the mm-hmm. case study or the the pain point you said or the uncertainty or the questions, mm-hmm. like use it as a, a tool for sending them to that blog post or sending them to that case study. Mm-hmm. And LinkedIn is a really good one too. Yeah. And after all, if you don't tell the world how awesome you are, who will? Because your mom doesn't count as a marketing plan. Sorry, moms. <laughs> you guys are awesome at getting us referrals for work. I don't know if my mom's ever given me a refer- referral, but that's okay. <laughs> it looks like P. Zampin. I think that must be your dad or a brother. Yeah. Paul. My oh, dad. Paul. Hey, Paul. Okay. <laughs> okay. Keep going. He also gets me a lot of referrals too. So they are good marketing plans, but not your sole marketing plan. Another important thing, I swear we're almost done. There's only a few slides left, is don't be afraid to ask for help because being trapped inside your own head is a scary place. For me, at least, it's much easier to get you know the same as you do for your clients to get that outside perspective on your work and your portfolio and your website have another set of eyeballs on it that see it totally differently than you do because you're too close to it. You're too emotionally invested in it. You can't see clearly whether you think you can or not. You can't. (laughs) So it's important to, you know, you can even ask friends, family, peers, whoever, but if you have the ability to hire somebody, if you hire a copywriter to help you, shout out to Brandy for helping me with my website because I never would have got it done without her. Um, You can hire a coach or a mentor like Diane, who's also helped me a lot to get that outside perspective, also to give you accountability on actually getting the thing done. And uh, a major thing for me in the past with case studies has been Like I tried to outsource it. I tried to have somebody else write case studies for me and it just doesn't work because it has to come from you and it has to come from your own experience and your own knowledge. You can't have somebody come in and try to write it. It just doesn't make sense. So I would suggest if you can writing out a rough draft of your case study and then having somebody proofread it. Um, If you can hire a copywriter to do that, they can clean it up and make it nice and professional and say, this sounds dumb. <laughs> We're going to take that out. And if you or can't. It's confusing, right? You you yeah. are using a term that maybe they your client wouldn't know. Or even having a client that you really trust. Hey, can you read this over? And then they could. Again, it mm-hmm. has to do with these long-term kind of. It's it's this trust is being built. So you need something from them. They need, What about testimonials? Where do, where do mm-hmm. those. Is that in here? Am I scooting ahead on the. Did you cover testimonials? I will talk about it in a second. Okay, never mind. <laughs> the last thing I was going to say is if you can't afford to hire somebody, which I know like a lot of us are in that position, especially with the pandemic and everything, you can always try to do a trade. Like you can trade a copywriter. If you know how to build websites, build them a website. They write you a bunch of content, something like that. Whatever works for your specific skill set. I've traded tons of design work and websites for car parts and other random things that I didn't want to have to pay for. So I did for a dentist once 
Uh, not for me, but for a student because she wasn't from this country and she needed dental help. So we got her some dental help. Anyway, you, cool. your your stuff can we can use our skills for good. Mm hmm. So anyway, the last thing I want to talk about is working on your portfolio is a form of self-care. Just let that sink mm. in for a second. <laughs> it's an investment in yourself. Like we talked about, you've put in tons of hard work on your actual projects, learning, mm. growing, improving yourself and your skill set. You deserve to be able to show that off. Mm. So think about how good it would feel if you randomly get an email from your dream client or somebody refers you to your dream client somehow and you actually have your portfolio ready to go to send to them instead of, oh crap, I need to hurry up and update, add these new projects, throw some stuff together and panic and not feel confident in sending out your portfolio to them. Think about how good it would feel to actually have it done and how much confidence that's going to give you to have that in your back pocket to show off whenever you need to love it it's also like what you talked about in the beginning it 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 does bring confidence but if you're not ever telling people all the stuff you've learned then you're also not claiming it as stuff that you've done mm -hmm. all right so now i'm going to give you guys some things to work on so the first thing is personal website checklist. So you can screenshot this or it's in my Instagram as well. If you want to get it, save it there. So these are all the key components of your website without the portfolio aspect. If that's too much to think about right now, just put that on the back burner, focus on these things first and get them done. And that'll make you feel good. And you'll get the momentum going at least to start building this thing out. So these are all of the basically bare minimum requirements of things that I would have on a personal website. So photos of you in your element. So whatever it is that you do, if you're at the computer designing, if you're drawing or sketching, if you're out taking photos, whatever, whatever you do, you want to show people you actually doing the thing. Next thing is just a general intro statement that's like, Hey, I'm so-and-so, this is what I do. This is the type of client that I want to work with. Short and sweet, right off the bat at the very first thing they see on your website. Next thing is your niche, which we just talked about. So we want to make sure that we're reiterating the specific niche that you're servicing and how you can help them. Next is just a concise list of your services. So this is just like maybe three to five things, very high level so that people know how they can hire you. This is not saying I do graphic design. This is saying I do web design and UI design and e-commerce or something, yeah, right? So that you're, kind of things that would uh, be maybe your higher ticker or things that your customer would for sure be looking for. Mm -hmm. it's, okay. it's terms that are general enough for a non-designer to understand basically. So they know how they can hire you. It's not going in depth into all the little details of the things that you do, just a high level overview. Um, after that, a short and sweet bio, because people want to know at least a little bit about who they're going to be working with, especially if they're paying you money to do a service, they want to know who the heck you are. So I think a paragraph or two max, that's just like, here's who I am. Here's some stuff that I've 
done and experienced. Here's how I started out. Um, here's like a little bit about like why I'm passionate about what I do, that kind of thing. Um, next testimonials, very important. So where did those go? They can go anywhere. I know a lot of people have them like built into the footer of their site so that they show up on every page, which I think is a good way to do it. Also, the best way to do it, I think, is within a case study. So if you have a testimonial that applies to that specific project or multiple testimonials, you can kind of like sprinkle in throughout that case study. I think that's the best way to do it because it's like, it's saying, hey, I know what I'm talking about. Here's just stuff I did. Oh, and my client also agrees with me that I did all mm. this stuff. Just like uh, social proof, basically. So somebody so, asked if this should be on the homepage or in the about page. And I'm what I'm hearing from you is it could be on every page, but you may have dedicated portions on the case study page about that case study. and Or if you're talking about you've done blank and you have a case study about it, you might have two testimonials that talk about that thing. It might not necessarily be from that client or, or it would be on these other pages with, would you ever put it on a blog page where you were talking about like a pain point? I don't think so. I feel like that's just like, I feel like blogs should be purely like educational, Mm -hmm. informational, or like, what's the other word I was looking for? entertaining. Like mm-hmm. it shouldn't be you trying to sell yourself through your blog. So okay. I wouldn't put them there, but it, it really depends on how many testimonials you'll, you have and how specific they are. Like if they're mm-hmm. specific to something you did for a project, you're going to want to put it in a case study. But if it's just mm-hmm. Rachel is an awesome designer and the best person I've ever worked with my whole life, maybe you want to put that on your homepage and also maybe your contact page. So if somebody's made it to the point where they're about to contact you, you can throw that in there as an extra like element of trust. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She shows up when she says. They can really be sprinkled in anywhere, but it just depends how many you have. If you only have like one to three, maybe put them on your homepage where people can flip through them. Um, They also... If you're just starting out, they don't have to be client testimonials. If you don't have those yet, you can get them from peers, people you've collaborated with, teachers. What was the other thing I was going to say? Like your manager or creative director, somebody that you've worked for doesn't necessarily have to be from a client. It's just showing your work ethic. Um, So the next thing is how to start a project with you. This seems like it's just simple, like, oh, well, they would just contact me, duh. But you need to give them more context into how you want them to contact you. And if you can, building out some type of form or some kind of process for them to get in touch with you. So it's not just like, here's my email, figure it out. (laughs) Like, Yeah, I love that. Like some more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Context? not necessarily projects, but um, like you're helping them. You're like facilitating the process for them to contact you and not making it difficult. Like, and you're also making it easier on yourself so that you don't get an email that says, Hey, I need a logo. Cool. What what am I going to do with that? Then you have to go back and ask them tons of questions, figure out their budget, all that kind of stuff. When you could put it into some sort of contact form or some Mm -hmm. process that they go through 
that gets all that information off the bat from you. And then you don't have to go back and ask them anything. And it also will deter some of those cheap clients that want a $50 logo. They're not going to take the time to fill out a form like that. So Mm. that's another bonus aspect of that. Uh, Lastly, more ways to engage with you. So this is basically social media at this point. So whatever social media platforms you have that you actually use, because this is quality over quantity, we don't want to list every single platform you're on if you're not active on it. So limit it to the couple that you're active on. And that gives them another way to get in touch with you, as well as maybe they're not ready to start a project right here, right now. So they go follow you and kind of browse around. So then maybe six months from now, they're ready to start a project. And in that six month timeframe, they've seen you consistently coming up on their feed on Instagram or wherever, establishing you as the expert in that specific thing that they need. So they're not even going to think about hiring somebody else. They're just going to go straight for you. So it keeps you top of mind with them as well. That's all I got. Um, if you want, but more that's resume- not all you have. You are have just launched a community where <laughs> we I you answered my question. You asked um, what and you're answering people's questions. You have a YouTube channel. You're on Instagram, which I put there. I didn't write your LinkedIn. I don't I don't know if you sent me that, but um, it's this is big. And you have a, a course that's out. Or, I mean, uh, uh, tell them what you've just done. And it's a huge sale. I'd rather listen to you talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if you go to my website, rachelzampino.com, I have a bunch of free resources and tutorials and stuff that you can start with there that'll help you not only work on your own portfolio website, but learn, learn how to build websites in general if you want to start pursuing that as an option. Um, so on there in my shop, I have a product that I just launched this week, which is called the one page website bundle. So that's built in Elementor that we were talking about earlier. It's very easy to customize and edit. So it's a one page website template just to get you started, get on the, hit the ground running. It conforms to all the strategy stuff that we talked about today. And it gives you just an easy fill in the blanks. You just fill in your own text and images and stuff, and it's ready to roll. So and that. it's responsive too, right? So you're, yeah. you, it's super easy to import the templates into, you can get the hello theme from Elementor, which is free. And I'm sure that Rachel has an Elementor affiliate code. Yes. Um, if you are interested in buying Elementor, any of their stuff, if you click any of the Elementor links on my site, those are my affiliate links. So I get like a small percentage if you buy something. So that would be cool. And um, you're an Elementor. I don't know what they call those people. Expert. Element. Yeah. Yeah. So All you can find her on their site. So they, uh, if you're looking for somebody to do more, um, detailed thing. So I'm going to put the uh, one page website bundle here and all these links are going to be at the top. If you're listening or watching on YouTube or on uh, wherever you get your podcast, all these links are at the top. Um, and then they're also, if you go to, uh, if you search for Rachel Zampino on my website at rechargingyou.com, and it's at a strategy for your portfolio site. Because again, sometimes you just need to start. 
Um, we did cover some of these other things. Um, is, do, I do want to get you to answer this. Do you think that this strategy, even this one page strategy would be okay for somebody um, that's a established uh, uh, solopreneur or even an agency if they don't have something or if it's not updated? The strategy or the website template? The website template. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's more, it's aimed at either solopreneurs, freelancers, or maybe people who are like just getting out of school and they're trying to find jobs. Um, it's it's targeted more to those type of people, but it can definitely work for an agency too. If it's a small agency or if it's an agency that just started out, it will work for that. Um, so it it's just a one-page template that has all the stuff we discussed, like information about you, what services you offer, your contact information, and then like some snippets of your work and testimonials. So it's meant to just help you get started and get a website out there, but you can expand upon it too. So if you are an agency or if you are further along in your career and you feel like you need more than just a one-page site, you can just take that template and build upon it. You can have the one-page it's essentially your homepage. You can have that link out to case study pages or just the point of it is just to build out a few pages at a time instead of feeling overwhelmed by building out an entire website when you could just have the basic stuff that you need all on one page. Does that make sense? Yes, totally makes sense. So, but I would say if an agency had a really old site or they didn't have a site, it's better than nothing and they yes. can build upon it, right? For sure. So it, at least it gives, and I think one thing we had talked about, so whether it's on Adobe Portfolio or Behance or Dribble or wherever it is, you can use that and then also use this one page site. So this would be, um, again, this is something to build on, but at least it gets you something up and rolling and it, we, it, you're mm -hmm. adding content, which is those important things of this strategy. Yeah, and it's only 50 bucks, which is No, it's $49. Oh, sorry. $49, <laughs> which is very cheap. So it comes with the one-page template. It also comes with a link tree style page that you can use for Instagram and you can customize that. It also comes with the perfect bio worksheets, which is like a fill in the blank sort of worksheet for you to to help you craft a bio cuz that's always kind of a hard thing to do for yourself. And it also comes with um, access to the community for three months for free, all for $49. Awesome. And do you, is there anything, uh, are there um, YouTube videos that kind of walk you through how to use this? Or is there anything that explains or is that in the community? Yeah, it's in both. Um, you can find a, a more in-depth video on YouTube about how the template works and how you can edit it and all that stuff. If you want to see kind of like the inner workings of it before you decide to buy it. And there's also a lot of information on the product page on my site too, that has a short video that also shows how um, I have three demo examples on there of how people have taken the template and adapted it to their own personal brand. So it looks totally different. Wow. That's really cool. So we should, um, we can, uh, every, all of that if, is at the uh, rachelzampino.com slash one hyphen page hyphen website hyphen bundle. <laughs> the end. No, the end. Don't write the end. I was just. Or you can go to rachelzampino.com slash shop, which is a little easier. And oh, yeah. That's a, that's a, 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. I can, I can type that in there for you. Okay. So what's next then? If is, is there going to be other things or, or are you just a one page girl? I am not a one page girl. <laughs> I have so many plans for so many things that I'm ready to get out of my brain. Um, I'm about halfway done building out a course, which is going to be all about um, everything you ever wanted to know about how to build a website, basically, which is utilizing WordPress and Elementor. It's going to be very thorough, how to build your own site or how to build client sites if you're interested in doing that. So I'm hoping to have that out in the next couple of months. Um, Also have plans for more website templates, more than one page templates, and dentist templates. Stuff. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you never know, people. Never know. And if you want to see uh, Rachel live, you could see her at designxl.org in November, right? November 5th, 6th. November 6th. Hey, there you go. November 6th, right? Yep. Pensacola. Come on, people. Let's go to Pensacola. And she gave us a whole bunch of other uh, links as well. So I wrote a bunch of them down. So if you're listening, you can go to rachelzampino.com slash toolbox slash shop. She covered a whole bunch of things. And if you want to um, find her on Instagram, just go to the Rachel Zampino, which I'm also going to put in. And I did put your YouTube. Your YouTube will also be below um, as well. So Rachel, uh, one last question. Uh, what is your greater purpose and how are you living that out today? I feel I think I'm still figuring it out, but I think it's something centered around helping people figure out like how to play to their strengths. Mm, I love that. That's a good one. All right, Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you for going over and thank you guys all for hanging out and catching a bunch of it. Uh, I hope it was helpful. Thank you for all the questions. And um, next week we have Shari Muhima and she's going to, we're changing from a web focus uh, to leading teams and figuring out how to get uh, internal team and external customers to uh, understanding them and how to adjust so that you can communicate better with them. And so I'm excited to have Shari on here and, Rachel, I can't thank you enough. So rachelzampino.com and Rachel's, some people spell Rachel, they have an A in there, right? But it's just (laughs) R-A-C-H-E-L-Z-A-M-P-I-N-O.com. Dot com. Anyway, I shouldn't sing. I I was thinking of it like that when you said it. What is that, Expedia? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's right. We could do it together. Anyway, we'll do it together when it's not being recorded uh, and then people's ears aren't falling off or bleeding or something. Oh, wait, we had one other question came in. Okay. Oh, will you show us portfolios that do a good job of what you mentioned? In your course, do you show us? uh, You do have those three examples or four examples on your site. Yeah. um, If you want to look at the one-page website bundle, um, there's a video on there that talks about the, the template and how it works. And there's a few demo examples on there of how a, well, a brand designer, visual designer, and a, what was the other one? Illustrator, 
have taken that template and transformed it to their own style and their own industry. So that's a good example. It's not really like a full-on portfolio site. It's just a one-page website, but that might give you a little bit more context into like the strategy of it and how it all works together and how it can be tailored for different people. Um, As far as portfolio websites, I don't have anything currently compiled, but I can definitely do a video or a blog post about that. Oh, I know one thing we, I forgot to ask. So how would people find out about the the course or what's the best way for them to stay? Is it just to follow you on LinkedIn and Instagram, or do you have a newsletter that you? Um, There's a couple different ways. So Instagram, I post a lot on there. Um, If you join the community, I'm actually going to do like a beta testing uh, program through that. If you want to be, if you want to have early access to the course, you can join the community. Um, and the third way is I do have a newsletter sign up that's on the homepage of my website. If you want to know when it comes out, is it in the footer? Is it somewhere specific? It's at the very top. Okay. The very top. Awesome. And I just want you to tell them one other thing, which I love. You should always follow Rachel and check her stories out on Friday because she has (laughs) so she's so funny and she saves all the things she's found during the week. Tell them what you do. Um, So it's called feel good Friday, which basically means it's just a, a giant dump of memes on my Instagram stories every Friday. So it's just stuff that I've collected throughout the week that I think is funny or stupid and just like makes me laugh or sometimes it's not memes. Sometimes it's like more inspirational stuff, just positive things, goofy things to kind of get you going every Friday. Brandy says she lives for it. I know Will does too. He's (laughs) like, oh my gosh, that was so funny. And they are so funny. Um, And it's just this, you can just like, I don't know. Sometimes there's like 25 of them, right? There's, I think there's more than that. It's like when (laughs) your stories turn into like little tiny dots at the top, that's how it is. So I've actually had people tell me that they'll get up in the morning and like run through like a quarter of it. Then they'll like work, go to lunch, run through some more of it, like do it in chunks. (laughs) It's so much content. You have to break it up, but, but it is really fun. And it's a nice way. Another little thing that uh, Rachel does that is just sharing and it brings humor and, and making the world a better place. So I'm, I just wanted to make sure you shared that. All right, guys, we'll see you next week with Shari. Rachel, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.